The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. We're in season seven, where we're writing the consumer health playbook and answering the questions, who will design it, what will it look like, and how long will it take? Let us know what you think about this episode and what topics you're dying to hear about in future episodes by reaching out on LinkedIn or Twitter at Healthcare Wrap. So here's what's gonna go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the partnership between Homeward and Rite Aid. What can we infer by seeing another retail chain enter the space, and what does it tell us about the way in which they partnered? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I share some provocative thinking about disrupting healthcare in rural areas. We compare trends in care among urban versus rural Americans, as well as the role of hospitals in consumers' health journeys when there are fewer choices to begin with. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Will Rite Aid be the right fix for rural health? Is there room on the game board for another retailer entering healthcare? According to a press release, Rite Aid announced a partnership with Homeward to provide access to comprehensive care for those living in rural areas across the U.S. Homeward is a startup that launched in March, headed by Dr. Jennifer Schneider, the former president and chief medical officer of Livongo. According to an article by Rebecca Torrance in Business Insider, the collaboration is set to put Homeward's services in as many as 700 Rite Aid locations, with mobile care expected to start in the parking lots of stores in Michigan in the third quarter and expand outside the state by the end of the year. Schneider said that Homeward picked Rite Aid as a partner because of its large footprint in rural communities. The 700 stores where Homeward's services are set to eventually be available are all in rural areas. Now, Rite Aid has 2,300 stores across 17 states in total, making it the fourth largest pharmacy chain in the U.S. Three insights caught my attention from this announcement. First, what can we infer by seeing yet another retail chain enter the space? Will they go the way of Walgreens and CVS, announcing billions of dollars in investments to reimagine primary care? Or will they go the direction of Dollar General, aka nowhere? Or will they land somewhere in between? Something tells me we're still in the first quarter of the retail wars. Second, the partnership strategy. It's notable that this partnership came about just two months after Homeward launched. Will that become a trend? Chris Borer, Senior Vice President of Payer and Strategic Initiatives at Rite Aid, was quoted as saying that they would not seek to compete with local providers by owning primary care clinics. He said, we're focusing on how do we use our pharmacists to plug in with others in the ecosystem to advance care and close gaps. That's quite different language than we're here to disrupt everybody. Third, the gaps in rural health access. About 46 million Americans, or 14% of the U.S. population, live in rural areas. But about 77% of rural communities don't have enough primary care doctors. 
Specialists are even harder to come by. This is why Schneider said Homeward's goal is to fill in those gaps. Now listen, I don't know these players well enough to make a prediction about their ultimate success, but I applaud the partnership strategy and I will be keeping an eye on them. Partnerships seem to be a way to accelerate the disruption that's badly needed to reimagine the sick care system once and for all. Let's spend more time exploring partnerships that can get us to better health faster. That's another way that will build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. Hey Zane, uh, good to have you back. How have you been? Good. It's good to be here again, Jared. It's excited. The weather's getting better here in Detroit, so I've been uh, delayed in getting my mountain bike out and some of that stuff. So I'm excited. It's funny. I remember a couple of weeks ago, really talking about whole person health with Lee AC and that concept. Just working in healthcare, sometimes they don't connect the dots of like self care. You know, call it whatever we need, preventive care, just taking care of myself and not understanding that we're talking about all these things that happen after you need care. There's a lot to think about and and plan and figure out for yourself and own in your own life before that ever happens. And I think the more that I connect the dots with my own life and all the broad healthcare things we're trying to solve, these big problems, the better perspective I have. So I think it's one of those, spring is good for that, for me to actually be outside a little bit more and and realize that maybe I'm doing something to help my own health a little bit. (laughs) That is awesome. That's way too deep just for a conversation about weather, but, you know, we'll roll with it. Yeah, no problem. We like to have deep conversations here. Well, speaking of deep, why don't don't we go deep here? We can give our listeners a little bit of context here. You and I were just talking about something that I don't feel gets enough headlines and doesn't get talked about enough, which is kind of the plight of the rural healthcare consumer. So those of us who don't live in a major urban area... A lot of the talk always focuses on big tech and then big health systems, national health systems, and brands that are out there with a big name and a big footprint and big plans and big marketing budgets. Yes. And they don't necessarily address a large percentage of people here in the States and all around the world that are dealing with healthcare from a very different perspective. So we want to dive into rural health today and and start with how a consumer in a rural area tends to address their healthcare differently. Yeah. Can we start there, Zane? Let, let's talk through that. Talk, uh, talk me what, what you think about that. Well, maybe, I mean, well, first of all, this is a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. Like, so in addition to innovation broadly in health systems and digital and, you know, human-centered design, all things we talk about, my favorite context, and I'm shocked we haven't really talked about it yet, is that context within rural. Because that's actually where I started my career off in rural Canada, building a community hub for mental health and addiction services. And Jared, it was a blast. A lot of the things that I've learned and I think the expertise, if you will, or content that I bring to this podcast, I originally learned there before I even knew the language of design and innovation. And rural, to your point, rural and small community healthcare is the most common in my view. I don't have stats to prove it, but I, I'm making an assumption. I think I'm right. Is the most common type of type of healthcare environment out there. Healthcare looks a lot more like, you know, rural Canada where I started than it does, you know, at Henry Ford Health System where I also spent five years of my life. And to your point, we often don't 
talk about that, you know, healthcare is usually presented from the lens of these big, well-funded, big brand health systems and, and not that everyday healthcare perspective. What makes rural different, it's not so much that the, you know, the economics are different or the issues are different. What I would say is that the issues in rural healthcare sorry, the issues in healthcare are exacerbated in rural. And so if you think there's a staffing problem today in urban health systems, it's even worse in rural. If you think that, you know, the prevalence of chronic disease, maybe unmanaged diabetes or congestive heart failure is bad in an urban environment, it's even worse in rural. The the issue to your point though is often the cameras aren't out there or politics aren't really out there. And so you don't just... You don't really care about it because it's it's not sexy or important. What is important, but it's just not in, in the purview of people's minds, and so it often goes forgotten. But it's I would say that the care is not necessarily different; it's just more exacerbated. If that makes sense, it does. It makes a lot of sense. I'm pulling up the Wikipedia version of rural yeah. rural America, and it does say an estimated 60 million people, or one in five residents, uh, live in rural America, which ironically. Uh, it says consists of 97% of the U.S.'s land area. There you so go. So urban centers are just considered 3% of the land area in the country, but 80% of residents. There you go. It's the majority. But, you know, even though I just sort of painted this, you know, doom and gloom picture of rural, I would say having worked in rural, there is hope. And what I have found in smaller communities, there is real opportunity for innovation and not just opportunity, but willingness and motivation. Because usually what happens is the hospital, in the case that there's a hospital in that community, is usually the largest employer. It's usually, you know, the most lucrative employer. And frankly, it's seen as as an engine that's driving the local economy, both from an economic and community development perspective. And so the hospital, in a lot of ways, becomes the center of that community, similar to how in the past the church was. And people, including the mayor and other parties in that community, generally rally around it and get really invested in understanding what services are being delivered. And so the beauty of that is when you can get all the stakeholders aligned, And when you're only in an environment where there's a few stakeholders, so there's not three hospitals competing, there's not three, you know, specialty practices competing, there may not actually even be one. But in that environment, there's more opportunity, in my opinion, to manifest some of the things we talk about here on this podcast than you would in larger urban settings where there's so much politics and so much ego and chest beating that you just can't get anything done. And so that's the the opportunity, the hope and the promise of rural being the place where innovation can truly start. And again, having been there, I can tell you that some of the work that we accomplished at Leamington Hospital, it's now known as Erie Shores Healthcare in Leamington, Ontario, Canada, was innovative. No one had been doing it. No one did it in the province, but no one knew we were doing it because we didn't have the budget to go to the conference and tell people or the time or even the connections to get there. Right. And so I would argue there's probably some amazing things happening in rural America at some of these hospitals that we have no idea because frankly, they just know it. And, and sadly, no one cares because they're not the big brands. And again, they don't have the budget to go to, you know, Vive or Hims or CES or wherever. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And there's a sense of urgency with it too. There's an article that came out in, in Becker's Hospital Review in March that 
is titled 13 States with the Most Rural Hospitals at Risk of Closure. And this is, you know, so very clearly on this side of the pandemic, it's how I like to refer to it. We're not out of it. We may never be out of the pandemic totally, but we're definitely on a different side of it than we were even a three or four months ago. Uh, and the article says across the U.S., there are 892 rural hospitals that are either at immediate or high risk of closure. In 13 states, more than 50% of the rural hospitals are at risk of shutting down. This is according to a report from the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform. And it goes on and, and explains that more than 500 rural hospitals in the U.S. are at immediate risk of closure because of financial losses and lack of financial reserves. These hospitals have either low or non-existent financial reserves and a cumulative negative margin over the most recent three-year period. So that goes to what you're just saying, Zane. The resources aren't there. The connection to the big-pocketed health systems, the for-profit systems just tend to not be there. And as a result, when you have a cumulative negative operating margin over a three-year period, <laughs> you can't just go buy a point solution. You can't just no. hire some big name person and they bring in a team and they change the culture and you become digital innovators. But there are a lot of different ways you can innovate. And I think it all starts around the, the difference in the consumer. Maybe this is a good way for us to run our own little exercise of designing in a consumer first way. I think it all starts with what, what do we know about a rural healthcare consumer? What behaviors can we use to describe them? What, what do you think about that? Maybe that's our starting point. Yeah. I mean, and maybe to our listeners, maybe we're violating one of our cardinal principles. Like I can speak from like what I remember about working in that space, but I guess maybe we'll just imagine things even if they may not be true, but it, it'll work for the exercise. You know, I think a couple things that come to mind immediately is, is the prevalence certainly of chronic disease, which happens in urban too. But I think about like uncontrolled diabetes, congestive heart failure, then also on the behavioral side. So undiagnosed or you know, think about like depression or maybe schizophrenia or some of these other things, and then also addiction. And so those were some of the big things that we were trying to solve for in Leamington. And then maybe tangentially was obstetrical services. And so a lot of these small communities still want there to be a place for babies to be born, even though there may not actually be that many babies to be born, you know, causing quality and educational issues on the inpatient setting. And so those would be some quality or sorry, some clinical indications that I would imagine rural patients or sorry, anyone trying to tackle the rural equation would need to be thinking about, you know, talking a little bit about the socioeconomics. And so certainly I mean, it's not always the case, but in most, probably the majority of rural settings, you could imagine folks would have, you know, less disposable income, very modest salaries, you know, potentially not commercially insured, but on Medicare, Medicaid. And then finally, probably the big thing that's the implication for us, especially when we talk about digital, is lack of access to broadband. And that's still an issue for I think really 50% of folks that live in rural don't really have high-speed internet and you know, maybe couldn't even engage in a Zoom conversation like we are now. And so being thoughtful about your telehealth and your virtual technology has to be able to then operate on a cellular network or not, maybe it's something, maybe it's not a digital solution. And so those would be some other things that I would imagine if you're going to tackle rural, you'll need to be thinking through as part of your journey map and then also your your product features, if you will. Yes, yes to all of that. And I think there's a general lack of trust 
of a lot of institutions and organizations. I mean, with everybody, it feels like with a lot of people. And I feel like that's increased in a lot of rural America. There's sure. just a, a general lack of, I guess, urgency to see, okay, the healthcare professional is going to be the one to help help me solve these healthcare needs I have. I think there's just even that, that lack of trust just complicates things. And it's yeah. not like, it's not a binary thing. It's not, yes, you trust them. No, you don't. It is just in general, like a, another level higher of hesitancy to seek care is, is yeah. what I've experienced with those who I know in rural America. Have you seen the same thing? I have. And so certainly saw it in Leamington and then in some of the work that I've done in rural Kenya, the same thing. And some of the solutions we we came up with were basically ways for the hospital. Our client was the hospital in Kenya to get the community, basically to build trust with the community and leaders in the community so that members of that rural community would trust the, the hospital is called Amara Medi Plus to be their care provider. And so certainly trust built, trust is an issue, but the opportunity then is because there are a lot of informal leaders in the community to leverage the informal leaders, give them the right information to help drive positive outcome, health outcomes through, through behavior change. Oh, I love that. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Hey, listen up, y'all. Did you know that nearly 60% of people wish their healthcare provider sent them more relevant health information? And 42% would even consider switching to a different provider that sent them more, according to a recent survey of patients in the U.S. The vast majority of them would prefer to get that information via email or text. Persado is a natural language AI company that provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized messaging journeys proven to build digital relationships, improve health goals, and increase patient retention. Deliver better health outcomes and revenue growth with Persado's data-driven content that inspires action. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com to find out how Persado can help. Justin Knott here with the Patient Convert Podcast, your weekly dose of healthcare marketing growth strategies, co-hosted by Justin and Kelly Knott. This is perfect for physicians, practice owners, healthcare entrepreneurs, and healthcare executives. We are breaking down what practices and healthcare organizations should be doing to grow, reach, and retain patients. There's so much confusion and so many options out there around what you should be focusing on to grow your practice, and we're breaking down each week what really works. We're bringing real-world application, case studies, and interviews from leading growth-minded physicians and healthcare executives. So catch us weekly on your favorite listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. Okay, back to the flow. That makes me think of maybe one part of this solution in our exercise would be to validate the thought that there's a general lack of trust. And one thing that always seems to help with that is co-creation. So, you know, how can we bring co-creation into this process of reaching out to a consumer in, in rural America and help them understand, like not lead probably with, Hey, look, we have telehealth visits and it's a lot easier now and go to our website and digital front door. Those probably aren't the things that you're going to be leading with any kind of engagement messaging. And 
And if it's more of like, we want your help, we want to understand you, you know, you don't go out there and say, we want to, we want you to trust us, but that's what you're trying to do. It's this type of messaging. It's a very different way that you lead with the messaging. Correct. And so one thing we did in Leamington in Canada is, you know, before we built this mental, this hub for mental health services, actually we followed a true human centered design process before we even knew that was a thing. So to our credit, but what we ended up doing is, and basically we started using collective impact, which is a community, community development framework. Maybe we can talk about that someday. And again, we did it before we even knew we were doing it. We just, I don't know, maybe the team I was on was just inherently design focused. We didn't even know. But what we did was we actually spent six months working in the community, working with formal and informal leaders to understand what were the problems in this community as it relates to mental health and addiction services, like what were the needs. And through that truly collaborative and participatory process, we came up with solutions together. And it was community members that said, hey, with all this extra space in the hospital, because we had tons of extra clinic space on the main floor of the hospital, could we bring in extra services? And here's the service I would want, because I have to drive to the city to get this service. You know, Could we bring them here? And we said, well, maybe we can, let's try it. And the beauty of that is when we included the community in the process, it very quickly became their hub. And so they started to you know, call it self-refer, if you will, their friends and family members and contacts whom were part of their informal support groups and networks. And so again, around, you know, the, the mental health and addiction population, there happened to be, you know, a group of folks who informally already were meeting and, you know, trying to offer self-support to one another and so on and so forth. And so it became theirs. And so the, the program grew because it was truly their idea. They had ownership over it. And we at the hospital were just the stewards of it and the catalyzers, if that made sense. Interesting. It's well, that kind of validates this line of thought of of the value of co-creation yes. to help address trust gaps because it is very different than it really is. I, I I'm trying to learn to not project my own experience on, you know, on everybody else and assume they feel the same way and come from the same perspective. Sure. There's definitely this tech first thought that we're going to solve a lot of these of care gaps and and access gaps and convenience gaps and experience gaps, you know, all the things that that make healthcare still really hard and inconvenient and expensive. Like until it's not that way, we all have a lot of work to do. I, I keep saying this, but, but this is like the driver. And I keep hearing tech as a way to address that, address yes. all these gaps. And not only does that really not work a lot, the amount of time and money and effort and staffing to implement a lot of the tech that gets talked about, I think about something as, uh, I won't say it as simple, but, but something as that, that's been around as long as CRM and marketing automation for patient engagement. Sure. The systems themselves, there's still not a consensus or a, a pre, or a standard of how many features in that application a hospital marketing system is using effectively They've got this Ferrari sitting in the garage is, you know, what we, what we always refer to, but the technology has been around a long time now. And are we still addressing care gaps? And we still don't really know if we're engaging in the right way and personalizing the messaging and like all the things we hear. So it's just a note to me to open up the conversation beyond 
a new point solution or another piece of tech. Okay. Now, Oh, now blockchain solves that. Okay. Well, like yeah. let's back up and say, if we're trying to design something consumer first, we're not leading with tech at all in this situation. Right. Yeah. I think especially in rural, like that it's, it, it would be certainly a combination of technology and still utilizing physical assets to make it work. Like you certain, and even in urban, like you can't, deliver all healthcare needs through digital modalities and nor does it make sense to deliver everything through physical and so balancing between both. But where I do see opportunities for digital and rural, and this maybe this is just stating the obvious, so I apologize, but you know, really around connecting in, you know, specialists into the equation, and because you know, rural communities, you know, have, have a severe lack of, of specialists. And then even like your basics, like your even your primary care, you know, getting them, you know, to have a presence in the community, you know, through digital modalities might be the option. The other thing to think about on the physical side is, and we did a lot of this experimenting, mind you, it's the Canadian health system, which is different, but really experimenting with other publicly funded services who aren't necessarily clinical, but could help be a convener and conduit to care. And so we would have a lot of, we started to have discussions with the library and thinking about how might they be a hub for services, having discussions with the mayor's office and municipality to think about, you know, how might we set up, you know, better transportation routes around the community. And then also working with, believe it or not, the police to see how they might also play a role in delivering or catalyzing care. And what I don't want to take credit for, we didn't come up with it, but one program we helped launch in the community was actually a, you know, was funded by the police service and the police actually partnered with a social worker. And, you know, whenever there was a behavioral health crisis in someone's home, they would go in plain clothes, no sirens, no alarms with a social worker and actually go and assess the situation and then potentially make the referral to our behavioral health specialist at the hospital. And so I think thinking broadly, and this goes back to what we always talk about around jobs to be done, you know, forget names, forget titles, like, you know, what are the activities that a rural citizen is doing every day when they do go into town, so to speak, where are they going? And then how might we map those to the care that we can actually provide? And so that that might be one way to think about it. The other thing, and I'll give you the mic in a second, the other thing to think about is the degree to which some of what we're talking about is actually about safety saving rural hospitals or do we completely redesign from the bottom? And I, I, I maybe I'm biased because I used to work for one, but you know, I think the opportunity to save rural, rural America's hospitals is really to you know, work with their boards and CEOs to help them reimagine what it means to be a hospital in that community. And you know, my thinking would be that what they need to think about is, you know, forget about being the acute care service provider in that community, but just see themselves as the platform for health and wellness in that community and surrounding area. And by doing that, it can help you to reimagine your partnership paradigm and start to see new partners on the horizon that you ultimately would have never thought about, right? And so that might be one way to think about it as well. If we're, if we're taking that, how might we save the hospital model? it does seem like it makes sense for hospitals in rural America to think more about partnerships and kind of lead with that in their innovation efforts and, and consider it more from the non-hospital side as well. There are these two sides that always just converge lately, the hospital-centric part of healthcare and the non-hospital-centric part, if you will. 
one day I'll come out with good terms yeah. for those, but the, the two sides of it, which are, yeah, the, the care that comes at a facility from a healthcare professional and then all the other care that yes. can be in our lives. And from that standpoint, I think rural America actually potentially has an advantage Yes, because again, this is try not to generalize, but from what I know and understand uh, those in, in rural America don't necessarily think first and foremost of going to the hospital anyway, like they don't have a facility based paradigm as much anyway. And so innovation can sometimes be less, I think it can happen quicker to your point earlier. Like you said, like that's what you experienced. It can happen quicker because you're not talking about, okay, Hey, our solution now is to go find a new EMR that's going to be implemented. And that's a 24 month implementation. And then that's we're married to them for 10 years or 20 years. You don't have to go out and with a big pocketbook, which is, you know, build buy or partner that, that question, it all comes back again to the, how much is a consumer really seeking care? And if they're not looking to set up a visit in the first place, well, then what other types of experiences could you create yes. to address those needs and bypass the whole thought of, well, we've got to bring them into a facility because they were already having to drive a long way anyway, or yes. it's inconvenient. It definitely feels like there are opportunities for a different type of innovation and potentially quicker. Yes, totally agree. So by way of example, in Northern Ontario, and so like remote Canada, I happen to have a colleague who worked up in this small little hospital in Inglehart, Ontario, you know, close, you know, probably five hours north of Toronto in the bush. And what was interesting is he was telling me that, and this was like five, six years ago now, they had like the most progressive telehealth tools and services in all of Ontario. Why? Because they had to before it flowed to everyone else. And you could actually get really good care, like some, you know, better, sometimes like better care and access in that little remote hospital than you could get in like a smaller community hospital. That's not really remote or rural, but just smaller, mainly because of the tools. And to your point, they had to, there is no other expectation to solve or sorry, there's no other options to solve for, but to do that. And they just went ahead and did it. When you talk this way, it reminds me a little bit about, you know, how the, how the Institute for the Future in California thinks about all this. When I think about foresight design, they say the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. I would submit to you that, you know, the future of digital health is here. It lives in rural America. It's just not known yet. Therefore, it can't be distributed for the rest of us to see. I think we've uncovered a lot here. I don't know about you, Zane. Any closing yeah. thoughts? I think we need to talk about this more and then maybe also be intentional. Like, you know, when we bring on more guests and talk about maybe their solutions that we ask the question, Hey, would this work in rural or is this only an urban thing? Cause I'm, again, I'm just of the opinion that if we really want to change healthcare, it has to work for everyone in all settings, not just in large urban academic health systems and in New York city and Detroit and, and you know phoenix but it needs to you know happen in rural canada and rural parts of louisiana or wherever and so maybe it's just our own diligence every time we have guests that we ask those questions as well hey thanks again for listening we hope you found some value in this conversation and if you did do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app then tell your friends and colleagues about us if you like what you heard please spread the word Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. 
It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at shift.health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thank you.